0: Welcome, everyone, to the GC On Demand podcast. Uh, my name is Eric Wright. Uh, you may know me as at Posse on Twitter. I'm uh, also Disco Posse in the Green Circle community here, and I'm pleased to have a special guest with us uh, today. Uh, you may know him as a geek whisperer, a neckbeard influencer, a community creator, but what's really fun is that we've watched his evolution into an exciting new role that we're gonna talk about today, which is a developer advocate, and with that, uh, i we've had a, have our guest on before, and I'm proud to bring back uh, Matthew Brender. Uh, if you want to reintroduce yourself to the folks that haven't uh, already caught up to our, our previous podcast, uh, and uh, let's get rolling and talk about developer advocacy. Yeah, you
1: bet, Eric. You just gave me chills, man. Thank you for that introduction. Uh, yeah, I'm Matthew Brender. I am a developer advocate at Intel in the Software Defined Infrastructure Team, and for, for fun and definitely not for profit, I podcast, which is a blast at the Geek Whispers where we talk about career building. And I, I think along the way I've found my own path and that's led me into developer advocacy. So I've talked a lot about um, how, how it differs, how it differentiates from other uh, tasks, how it's not an evangelist, and also how to measure it so that you don't get stuck either defaulting to a marketing role or defaulting into this place that is easy, easily
0: forgotten. Now, let's pick right on something you said right there. It's not evangelism and that's that's a it's a an interesting point. And a lot of people get lost in this idea of advocacy and evangelism, you know, while it sounds if you if you go to google it the definition it it may lead you to something fairly close, but the developer advocate role versus a developer evangelist. Well, Where's the defining line for you on that?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's helpful to take a step back and look at the, the sort of taxonomy we have for us if you're in this space. So why, why are these roles? Why are there these roles at all? Um, there's some sort of gap right now around communication that's very technical. And that focuses on, let's say, developers. But when we say developers, we don't even really mean that we're a developer, right? Like uh, every time we say it, sometimes we need we mean people that are operations engineers that are, you know, writing some YAML code and put it pushing it into Ansible. We call those developers. And then we talk about people that like write, you know, Haskell every day and are building the application for our architecture. We we still misappropriate that term. So all in all, there's a lot of sub-tribes to this idea of developer relations. And because of that, developer relations as an overarching topic has come up. Now, um, for at least for our community, Eric, like the VMware one, I think we, we started out more comfortable with this concept of an evangelist. We saw evangelists popping up all over the place. So that title was well known, and that's been around. Uh, we can dig into what that does, um, and then I really stand by the term advocate, uh, developer advocate, technical advocate of people, um, because I think the term immediately gives you the connotation of serving others. Well, an evangelist is very much like, I am the subject matter expert, I am on the pulpit. Um, And I take that into everything I do in my job. I, I do my best to not make it about me and about growing my presence, but really how do I uplift all of our stories and tell an amazing story,
0: of all the people that make things possible. So we, we're gonna attach this to say, the, the advocate is the, is the proletariat and the evangelist is the bourgeois. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not even that. It's like, uh, it, it's, I, I really
1: don't wanna get into a place where I'm saying like, if your title is an evangelist, you're obviously you know self-important because that's inaccurate really. It's evangelism has become a term that companies feel comfortable hiring. They still don't know exactly where to put it sometimes, but that basically gives you a blessing to be a nerd that's allowed to speak. And there's a ton of us that just wanna be nerds that are allowed to speak, but sometimes you get shoved into a box of what kind of nerd you are and how you're allowed to speak that is really more of you're just a talker. You're just talking about things and you're not given any time to actually do and to actually ask questions. Um, now, the people that I've seen be very successful as evangelists, they do all those things regardless of what um, the title is. Right. And I think that's great. I just think I think there's more room for more personality types, more people who aren't the, the first ones to call themselves a subject matter expert to be developer advocates. And it achieves the same goal of, um, you know, portraying a message, engaging with a community, uh,
0: building technical expertise, but also being somebody who's reputable. And and I guess you can think of it like you said. It's there's developer advocacy because it's very people oriented. Versus you know evangelism can also be product focused and and company focused. It may be more sharing a company message. You know it can be industry related. However, your being the bridge between developers and and the rest of the world is is an important one that's not filled by that evangelist role, right?
1: Um, well again, it it really depends on on The style there of whether it is or isn't but I I think you nailed a point that I I really like that The evangelism part is more about being a spokesman for the company if I understood that correctly or the product set While an advocate. I think there's more room to focus on the user experience and the user story yeah, Um, it it sounds it sounds very uh, unnecessarily nuanced but Um, When I end up relating that into deliverables like things that I'm accountable to deliver on the team I find I am able to categorize the work I like to do more through this and I'm not just focused on I need to go speak at X number of conferences I love speaking at conferences, but right now on the projects I work on It's not always the best thing for me to do I think the best thing for me to do right now is to spend an ungodly amount of time figuring out how to clean up documentation so that people understand
0: how to use our software and that's right. That's more important. And that's being a part of the machine, you know, is an important piece of it, right? Like you said, we can, that's where, you know, I joke and I always say that I'm a cloud pundit, you know, and because <laughs> you can talk about it I so said that's a specific role, which is you know, looking at what's going on in the market, you can effectively sift through MQ, <laughs> you know, uh, reports and, and stuff. And you can then you can develop an opinion. You can that's what like research analysts do. And And having come out of financial services, that's where I learned to do a lot of that stuff. But what was more fun about the technology piece is that you actually get down and do it. And I often say, like, I would never talk about something or suggest somebody do something that I wouldn't do myself. And that's where like nosing down and just throwing yourself into you know building environments and and you know crafting around with code creating documentation and contributing to the community inbound in a lot of those ways that's where it's a it's a huge huge change versus the marketing side of of what we often end up getting wrapped into
1: yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot about how do you help us capture attention, capture eyes and ears and, and, you know, take our honestly piss poor metrics of success and make the number go up, even though it doesn't actually indicate anything. We can banter about that in a minute. Um, so instead of focusing on those things that aren't as valuable, it's like, how do I reposition and realize that there is, there is strength in knowing that I'm part of that audience and that while I'm, by no like I don't wanna be the spiritual leader, I don't want people to look up to me and be like, oh, Matt does this. But I do wanna lead by example. I, I do wanna go into our repo, find an issue, fix it, open the pull request and follow what we wanna see as a T so that the next time you go and look through our commit history, you see that I follow the recommendations we suggest. Um, like I, I think there's something about being the ideal user as an advocate, um, but then also looking for other people that could be users and and promoting them, helping them realize that they have a lot of value to bring. Uh, so there's there's some social coaching inside the team, outside the the organization, and in the community. And then there's some you know, put up or shut up moments of going and doing it yourself, no matter how comfortable you feel or don't feel.
0: And it's there is a there's just such a you can tell that nerd factor pours out of us when you when you get that email and says someone has successfully accepted your pr and you're like oh my god i've got a pull request i'm now so you know i'm now a contributor to you know whatever product or or project it is it's i love it it's one of my favorite things you just like ooh, (laughs) yeah it's like the new free t-shirt uh of the internet here um
1: it's special and I'm really happy to be in a job that gives me the opportunity to do so. Uh, I think one of the more rewarding parts is uh, when I run into people that don't realize that they're allowed to do it as well and help them realize that, yeah, absolutely. We welcome your contribution. Your contribution is amazing, especially if you don't do this all the time um, because every new experience is a new opportunity to learn how we can
0: make this easier to understand for everybody. And and that's, that's an important part of the role. So there's two pieces we're going to pick on right now. One is, you know, making it easier to understand, and that's bi-directional, right? I think that you're you're not just taking the message that your development and engineering team is doing and then bringing it out to other folks. You're also bringing the experiences back in to help to guide the development group, right? Is that is that the right way to think of the difference versus, you know, totally outward focus, like you want it to be continuously bi-directional because if you're not listening on both sides, then you're simply, it's everything is confirmation bias at that point, right? Exactly, exactly. And and sometimes it's difficult, but uh, that
1: means the, the same strategies come into play of getting out to the events where people are using things or getting out to new events where no one's using it and see how they respond. Um, there is definitely that face-to-face social interaction. But then it's a it's a lot of time crawling where people are talking and like, uh, and listening. Like, so Twitter's the greatest place we've all been for a while uh, in regards to just getting candid feedback. Um, so you have to be paying attention and listening. And then GitHub as a totally new layer uh, when it comes to all the comments you can get through issues, all the comments you can get through pull requests, um, the things you can see where other people make similar projects and. Um, and they don't feel like your tool is the right tool to converge that into that problem set. So finding all those different things um, I haven't seen that with with snap since it, it is a rather novel way of approaching telemetry, but um, in in other projects i have worked on like everybody there's always this instinct to go make it yourself. There's just something crucial to developer mindsets of I want to go build it um, and reminding people that there's so much strength in us collaborating uh, on a single project and making it better. Um, I think that's that's where the real value of advocacy can be effective. And it leads into products to some degree, depending on how you roll your open source project into whatever you know, you're doing as a company.
0: And before we talk about the tools and techniques, because it's an interesting skill set, and I want to talk about that. But first, I want to talk about metrics measurement right how do we measure success yes. when we're dealing with people and that's it's always that huge gap it's tough to you know there's a, an emotion to what we do a lot of times how do you how do you choose points at which you can create measurability around what it is you do
1: i hope you're listening amy lewis this one's for you uh, for those that don't know that reference do a podcast all the geek whispers where Amy and I argue about the value of metrics Um, but back on topic when it does come to metrics um, I'm a firm believer that they they're on your side that meaningful metrics can lead to meaningful conversations and lead to insights that can improve even the most kind of gut-checked kind of work and uh, for me Like, that means I try not to get distracted by the vanity metrics, like the number of stars we have on our repo. Um, But I do pay attention to, say, the relative number of stars we have on our repo to similar projects of similar calibers or different ages, and see, like, okay, are we starting to build enough momentum? Because that's an example of where the measurement is not about just the vanity of it, not just the solid number, like x equals Blank it's it's about the story around it and how does that story connect to other people's projects and adoption overall? Um, so that's one area of it I, I really believe in relative metrics and understanding what you're trying to achieve and compare and contrast with other things that give you an apples-to-apples apples Comparison or at least give you like a direction because I think Showing a direction like we could be as big as these guys if we keep going down this path Um, The the sort of let's learn from other successes and continue to to model what they were trying to achieve as opposed to exactly What they tried to what they what they did Um, We shouldn't try to recreate history, but we should try to you know strive to the same successes So that's one angle of it. The relative values are huge Um, and the other one is is purely uh, subjective and it's it's kind of quality um, I've been tasked with quality control of a number of things I don't have to go fix the quality myself necessarily But I have to be kind of our, our team whistleblower of our, Do we have enough coverage on this kind of documentation? Do we have enough examples of this kind of plug so that other people could go model their own? Um, and that's tough. Uh, that's a lot of opinion. It's an occasional argument with my peers but um, I'm happy to be on a team that that welcomes dialogue that welcomes like passionate discussion about these things um and figures out like based on the amount of resources we have and what we're trying to achieve whether we have enough time to achieve that now or whether it's something we do the next sprint
0: yeah it's that's a tough. you know there's so much you know like you said there's vanity metrics that we get attached to sometimes and we think of like oh is this is this a success factor because we've got x number of views x number of stars x number of you know thumbs up but in the end you know, uh, I had great conversation with Cody Bunch. Of course, for folks that know Cody's uh, yeah, sort of the the V Brown bag is one of the most famous things he's known for, among many other things he's done. Great community contributor. And we have these conversations like, Hey, it would be really cool, like we should like promote this and like let's hey, how'd you like to, you know, bring this, you know, opportunity to these folks? You know, and everybody's like, Yeah, that's great, you know, I'd love to donate money and whatever. And then you know, send them a link to the page and then, you know. Forty days later you go back and you check and you see like, you know, a hundred likes and you see twenty bucks in the pool and you think, Okay, <laughs> yeah, I've I've attached myself to the wrong metric. Everybody thought it was a great idea. However, you know, how do I get them to that next step of contributing? And that's, you know, whether it's charity, whether it's work, uh, you know, it happens in the office, it happens outside. You know, what what do you do to help folks get to that next step of like thinking it's a good idea to contributing. I love it. I'm so glad we got to this conversation because I, I, I see it
1: as one of the most fundamentally difficult things. And it's also where we all find frustration in our day-to-day life. Um, you know, our jobs, our homes, like you're asking somebody to do something, but you don't realize you're asking them to do the wrong thing. What you really want them to be doing is something totally different. And uh, because of that, I think the conversation starts with yourself like talking to people you trust or to yourself or to your favorite rubber duck and just discussing what are you actually trying to achieve? What are you trying to show? And how is that gonna turn into something worth showing? Uh, So bringing it back to a personal place, back to the stars. Somebody said like, hey, we're approaching 600 stars. That's gonna be really cool. We could announce that we got 600 stars. I said, stars are interesting only if we make it relative to other people's stars, or relative to other projects that we've done that have had, you know, less growth, and we can show that, unlike this other project, this has reached an escape velocity, if you will, and tell a story about that. Um, so, what I really want people to do is continue to star that. That's great. That actually adds value to this storyline and and shows it. Um, but. Even that, though, it, that's a pretty weak indicator, uh, to your point. That's like likes on the page instead of money on the table. Yeah. Um, so, so when it comes to Snap in particular, I'm being maniacally focused on people adopting the software. Um, and that usually means long conversations with people I know have pain from past experience or from listening elsewhere and continuing a dialogue and seeing what they can do to adopt our software in a meaningful way. Um, So that what that means for me is in the content I create I really have to think of how do I show immediate value to people? How do I get immediately to the why should I care and I've honestly had a tough time sometimes? um, Because it's so cool from a theoretical idea that like getting you specific metrics that are meaningful Sometimes takes me a lot of time to understand what in the world is LLC occupancy on uh, an Intel CPU and why should you care? Because I I have a great answer for that now, it's fascinating, but um, I didn't know that coming to this job. Um, So I need to tell more of those stories so that you can get to that immediate value as well. And then it's really, it's not getting distracted by all the, the the shiny buttons people can click and just talking to companies
0: that run decent sized infrastructures and might need Snap to solve a problem the pain point is the is always the one that that we have to pick out and it's in everything we do and and it's funny the phrase i always like to tell people with this like trying to get people involved it's you know road paved with good intentions is a dirt road it's there's nothing there everybody's got a great idea like yeah it'd be really cool And, and then yeah you look around when it's actually delivery when you're when you're ready to do something and like oh yeah they they weren't quite ready to go for this and So my background that I always approach this from is thinking about, like you said, find that pain point, understand what it is that's a gap, you know, and say like, how do we fill that gap is, you know, with what it is that we're doing. And that's the most difficult part is is getting into a conversation with somebody and, and really listening to what they've got and saying, okay, well it sounds like you know this is something you've had i've i've sat on calls with some of our sales folks you know uh, at the company that I'm at at vm turbo and they'll sit there and they'll go through and and they'll they'll hit something and then someone'll say yeah you know it'd be really great if i could do this with it and they're like okay great let's get to the next part of the demo and i'm like Oh no, I'm like, you totally just blew right by it. That was the one, (laughs) like that was the point point. That was my moment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. that's like, we've we've landed, you know, like this is the, that's an opportunity for us to look and say, hey, we can really solve something cool here. But you know, it's, so we've come up with like a neat thing, you know, and you know, you look at Snap and people like, a lot of people, I'm like, you've got to take a look at us. And like, yeah, this looks really cool. I'm like, how do you think it would apply to you? They're like, I don't see how it would. I'm like, okay. We've got to dig in deeper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And to be
1: honest, I, I saw the same thing on like the software you work on at work. Like it, it's fascinating, but until I'm somebody that's running this, you know, heterogeneous infrastructure, it's just kind of this. It's just conceptually fascinating. And that's also something like that where I think the self awareness part comes into play. That I know I'm somebody that just gets super excited and. And that's a benefit. That's a huge part of why I love going and hanging out at these events. Like I'm excited about what we're all excited about. Um, but you have to get below that that layer. You have to get to actual pain that leads to actual uh, solutions. And also to know my role in that process. Like I think, um to be really candid, like when I started the job, I felt like it was truly my responsibility to find these people figure out how we can fit into their problem, go solve it, and then write it up after. And that's a lot. That's a lot of steps that I am not necessarily the most qualified person to do so. Um, that said, I started to you know, rely more on the team and realize that there are people that understand these infrastructures better than I, I certainly do now and maybe ever will. And they can have many of the initial conversations. And when we get to a point where we're, we're close to having a story to tell. maybe that's when I swoop in and start to understand that story so I can frame it. Yeah, um,
0: yeah.
1: So finding finding your partnerships inside your team, um, especially if your title is a developer advocate or evangelist honestly, like knowing your partners, knowing who you can depend on. Uh, and that's gonna change depending on you know end of end of any sales quarter salespeople disappear. But um, I've worked with solutions architects that were in sales that were really reliable otherwise. And then my other friends, I always befriend people that do documentation because they're running into how users use things.
0: Yeah, you have to see how everything lives. People always ask me, like, how did you get to do what you do, you know, in technology? And why do you touch everything since in technology? And like, what, what's the... Know, what was your background? I'm like, oh, I'm I'm a cobbler, and they're like, oh, you use cobbler for automation? I'm like, no, literally, I've repaired shoes. I was in retail and I ran a shoe repair, and <laughs> and I took behavioral psychology, and I'm like, that's probably the reason why this makes sense because it's a people challenge. You know, 99% of the things we do, we use technology to solve people issues, you know and people say like, what's your go-to book to learn about how to do new technology? I'm like, I I read DSM 4, which is like diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. And like I learned more out of that thing than about technology than any C programming book ever taught me. Because that scares me. You know, but understanding people, that's how you find that pain point. And that's how you can you can you advocate and evangelize and and share that message and then build that excitement, which can become, you know, adoption and embracing and and you know participation that's always that fun when you see somebody get excited with you and then all of a sudden you see that you know whether it's a pull request or like a download request or like and they introduce you to somebody else you're like ooh this is where it's fun and that's that the measurability comes in there as well you know getting excited is great but you know can we measure what it is we've done so that we can help to kind of repeat some of that stuff and and do it maybe yeah. programmatically as well yeah and Eric, you hit on a point I
1: really like. like you started iterating out a sort of mental model of how people go from excitement to adoption, and you know whether you like the traditional like if you search sales funnel or you sh- search marketing funnel and look for images of them, like whether you like those or not, um, they all have some validity to them. They all have some strength in just under making it make sense to your peers like what value you bring in, what part of this. I'm a big fan of the R um, startup model of of audience acquisition and like, and bringing that down to revenue, if that's your goal. Um, It's not in my role, but uh, I think that's been effective for me as a mental model of showing like, here's where I get involved and here's where I stop getting involved. And it helps me explain the handoff, the sort of team teamwork and collaboration inside the team. Because if I was going to, warn anybody about a title like a developer advocate um, it's it's not gonna be one where you're gonna be crystal clear on what your job is and what it isn't you have to understand the organizational dynamic you have to understand what you're trying to deliver and many of the times or this might just be a me thing but I I find that I'm I'm part of that's a constant dialogue that I want to be a part of like what is the most meaningful thing I can do for our team now um, or that my team can do now. And I'll continue that. Uh, I, so I think understanding like how are you going to map that to a model to show like where you fit in a bigger ecosystem, I, I find that very effective.
0: So the next thing I want to talk about is you know, all of this is interesting in what we're already doing. But you know, life isn't static, right? How do you how do you know what's next? What how do you how do you learn something new? You know, you you obviously you came to to the group and whatever what are the products that they they develop on the the toolkit that they use to to do that to deliver? You know the 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 way that they they work together, whether it's Scrum Agile, you know, whatever. All of these things requires new learning. And at first, you've got to execute the vision. And then you've got learn how to use all the bloody tools to do it. How do you, how do you learn something? Especially as like, it can be anything you could tell me like, oh, I'm, I'm using go and, and, and that's all great. Then all of a sudden it says, Hey, well, you know, why are you using that word? We're, we're developing this in rust. You're like, oh man, <laughs> I went down the yeah. wrong road. Yeah.
1: Well, I think it's one of those things that, um, my, my fiance is fluent in French and I ask her sometimes, I'm like, why did you learn French? And her answer was just, I wanted to learn French. I'm like, so I learned French. Nice. Uh, and it's like, well, why not Spanish or Danish or German or, um, or Swahili? And the answer was, yeah, those are all good languages too, but I learned French. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's one of, so I, I, I love that because it's about like putting the time and energy into one place where you can actually get somewhere. Um, the, the toughest part I find about our world right now is that everyone's a little nervous, which doesn't always put us in the smartest place. And we're all nervous about no, not knowing things. So we're trying to learn all these things simultaneously. Um, and I, I found it was actually about three years ago now, taking a step back and actually writing down what I was trying to achieve and put that in a sort of uh, you know, a serial line of like, are there any things that are dependencies before I can learn something else? Um, And I found, it was actually three years ago when I was a sales engineer, very temporarily, that I found that what I wanted to be doing was more open source work. And I, I knew that would mean I'd have to, you know, dust off my developer skills, but I knew a dependency that was, you know, more important than all of those put together was understanding Git and GitHub. So it was actually three years ago now, maybe a little bit longer, where I just started making a small amount of time almost every day to learn Git and to hack with it. And I only, all I did was pretty much push text files into it. Um, I didn't write code because I, I found when I was trying to learn how to write Python and I was trying to learn how to write Ruby and I was trying to learn Git all at once, I was learning none of it.
0: Yeah. Um, so,
1: so it was this, this urge to learn everything at once was actually holding me back from learning anything. So I really, I I held myself accountable to just learning Git. And, you know, years later using it almost every day uh, or at least every week, I finally feel competent, like still by no means expert, but competent in in Git and GitHub and the language around that. And after I hit that competency level about a year ago, I started being like, all right, well, it's time for me to pick up a language. And which language? I, I flop between every single one you've ever heard of, I guarantee you. <laughs> um, and then I landed on this point where I noticed a trend in data center operations that, that Go was the language. If you look at HashiCorp projects, if you look at Docker, if you look at Mesos, and you look at Kubernetes, and you look at a lot of the tools that are coming around them, they're all written in Go. Now I I started with Python. I kinda liked it, but I, I found it a little annoying because I, I was having a tough time troubleshooting it. Um and I wanted something that like kind of built into a binary. I was using Ruby as well because it's super friendly and I just you feel like you're cheating. It's yeah. so easy to build <laughs> stuff in Ruby. Um but that also makes it a mess at times. So I thought like, I don't know, if I was gonna put on my, you know, my big boy Developer pants. I wanted something that was going to be compilable. It was typed, but it was also um, You know well adopted in our space and it wasn't you know So low level that I have to deal with uh, you know manually garbage collecting things myself Um, So I didn't want to deal with C or C++ like I did in college So I, I found go and I stuck to go and I've been so Tempted to try other things and I just keep fighting that urge and I just keep reading more books on go I keep writing more Go code. I wrote like a rock paper scissor thing that wasn't interesting. It just plays rock paper scissors on the CLI, and it would probably would have taken ten minutes in Bash, but I wrote it in Go because nice. I wanted to. Um, and I think there's there's this urge to get to an immediate level of competency that I have to fight all the time, and just focus on just practice and the the practice of
0: practicing. And I think of that as you know that's what's important about you know what you bring to the role that you've got, and what people who want to do this they need to think that way is you've got a you know walk a, a proverbial mile in the shoes of the people that you're working with. It's it's understanding both sides of the line. You're interesting because we split this line. You know you're you're seeing the outside how people are consuming what it is that your team is creating and you're creating. And you're also helping your team to, you know, interface externally, it's, but if you don't, if you don't live it, then it's tough for you to understand it and really emote that message well in either direction, right? I I, I feel like that's the difference with especially developer advocacy. You really have to be in the code. You have to be in the, the process, you know, understanding how code's committed, how it's done, like that's the key difference I find versus, you know, uh, a lot of folks are like, oh, I'm just going to you know, I'm going to you know, kick the tires on it. Like I said, as a sales engineer, you can you can understand a product, but you don't necessarily have to know how you use it. You just have to know how to tell you what's on the white paper.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need to know how to tell the story and, and empathize with someone's pain and just get them to the point of the POC. Right. Like that's that's what you're doing as the sales engineer. Um, and maybe you have to help troubleshoot along the way, but you know the common troubleshooting paths and you make that work. But um, I don't know, like it, it, let's say you are a sales engineer right now. Like I I think you have to be preparing yourself for whatever sort of work you want to do. And um, I think it was John Troyer on A Geek Whispers that said like you have to respect yourself and 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 honor that time you need to put into your calendar in order to do... Something big in a few years. Yeah. So if if I didn't learn Git a few years ago, I I would feel so incompetent at this job, and I honestly I wouldn't have had the opportunity to join here. Uh, it was a prerequisite, um, and it's not something that I planned for a few years ago. But I did have the intention of getting this direction. So sometimes I, I guess there's a little bit of you know uh, I don't mean this in a religious way, but there's some faith that putting energy into something and learning it it will it will
0: be worthwhile absolutely every every good thing that's that's appeared like an a sudden move or an overnight success has had an unseen amount of effort put into it and without you know reward the reward you don't do it to get to that goal but you do it because the goal is yourself you know it's you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not contributing you know your technical debt of your future it's take that time out and, and do it i'm i'm 100 with you on on that one
1: yeah and I, and I fight with it every day i'm now to the habit of um, i'm at a big company again i have a lot of people that want to be on the calendar especially as we keep being successful with snap um the open source telemetry stuff we're doing and i need to now block hours on my day uh just and i and I kind of hate it because I'm, I'm such a completionist and such an accomplished driven kind of person. I want to be able to check and code and it'd be beautiful and awesome and do something. But I actually have to block hours just so that I can go through what other people already wrote and have any idea what it's doing. And then I go run our software over and over again on my laptop and on different versions of Linux and see how it works. Um, not because I'm even looking for bugs, I just don't want the I need to practice, or the first time I'm going to be doing it is going to be on stage where people are going to expect me to be competent already. So there, there's, it's a new mentality for me, and it's, it's really important, and I don't want to underemphasize it. So I'm going to keep saying like, there's practice is part of the job, and uh, and I hope people feel comfortable putting that into their calendar because it
0: is part of the work. Absolutely. And I always laugh at you the way you say that it's for people that are like thinking about taking it on. I remember doing the OpenStack cookbook and working with the team on doing the, you know, the code for this automated lab. And it's like, you know, write it up, test it out. And I think it, I went to, I actually ruined a hard drive because I I did a Vagrant up about 200 times in a day, like testing out little things. And I sat <laughs> at the end of it and all I think was like. Yep, live in the dream. <laughs> yeah. Living live in the dream. No, number one hundred and ninety-eight, vagrant destroy F. Okay, let's start <laughs> all over again. <laughs> but it's it pays off tenfold when when it gets to the to the end, and somebody recognizes that, and and it's a it's a gift to yourself, really.
1: Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, um, and and also like there's there's such uh, there's like amazing little anecdotes you'll find along the way. Like, I, I was messing around with uh, the Snap CLI, the control line, uh, the command line for it. And I pushed something in, and it did something that I didn't ex—I didn't know I could do over the RESTful API. Um, or, it, like, the CLI and the API did the same thing, but they displayed it a little differently. And I, I was like, oh, this is cool. I didn't notice this. I didn't know I could do that. Yeah. So it, I ended up writing, like, a little uh, post about it to the team to make sure, like, they knew it worked that way and it just turned into cool content. Um, It's fun because you discover these nuances and it just makes you more credible and it's, but it's also connects the dots. Like I want to be part of the development team. Um, I'm advocating for them as much as I'm advocating for the software we're building, as much as I'm advocating for the people that are using it externally.
0: Nice. So I, I always like to close out with the one uh, one thing. What's what's on your bookshelf? Uh what's the what's the book that you're reading now and what's the book that you'd tell anybody that they've got to pick up that's like your de facto everyone should read this book? Oh wow. Um I
1: you me. I didn't expect this, Eric. I like it. Uh the the book that I was reading previously that I'd recommend to everyone that connects back into our conversation about social psychology and really understanding that people are are crucial in our understanding of technology these days. It's thinking fast and slow. It is a beautiful piece of nonfiction that digs into um, years of psychological studies uh, but tells it as a story about our brain and how we have kind of two pathways, like. that one thinks very fast and is immediate and responsive, and another one is this slow churning methodical one and how we all have these, uh, these tendencies, both of them, um, and how that's been shown over the years. It's a really powerful, great way of understanding different people and different personality types and how people process things.
0: Nice. So
1: uh, so that's one. I think a short read that everyone could pick up that I continue to keep reading is uh, The New Kingmakers. Right, like uh, how it's it's the conversation about how software is eating the world, um, to to steal that Horowitz quote. Uh, yeah. But it's by Stephen O'Grady. It's a I'm pretty sure it's a free download most places. Um, it's a great read. A few, not too long, and we'll dig into just some of the trends of why we all need to understand software. Um, so I was rereading that recently in between. I've got about a half dozen like programming and go books from O'Reilly and packet because you know, that that's where I am right now. It's just focusing that's awesome.
0: I love the, uh, both those titles are, uh, are, are great, great reads for sure. So we'll make sure we put those in the show notes. So yeah, thanks again for, for this. We kind of went in all sorts of fun directions and so we could, we could literally take hours and, and talk about it more. Uh, so for folks that do want to continue the conversation and maybe share some of their thoughts and stories with you, what's the best way to get a hold of you, uh, online and, and such.
1: Yeah, please, please reach out. I, I love to use Twitter as my conversation platform. It's at MJ B-R-E-N-D-E-R. And then if you want to listen to more banter uh, about these type of things, there's a ton of information on advocacy and evangelism on the Geek Whispers. That's at geek underscore whispers or at geek-whispers.com.
0: Excellent. Well, again, thanks, uh, Matthew, for, for coming on. This is always a pleasure and and hopefully uh, we'll we'll catch up at an event soon and and you know, some other folks can see the work that that you're doing you know inside the office and, and out it's it's a a pleasure to be a part of the community with you Ah, oh, same here eric thank you so much and for folks that want to uh, catch up on uh, more of the Green, cir- <coughs> green Circle On Demand, uh, of course, you can go to uh, gcondemand.io and you'll see the list of all of our show notes there with links to the previous episodes and, and other show notes. Uh, of course, you can also uh, connect with me. I'm at Disco Posse on Twitter. That's easy to find. Trust me, there's only one Disco Posse. And uh, you can also find me. I'm Disco Posse in the Green Circle, which is greencircle.vmturbo.com. Always keen to catch up with folks uh, here uh, online and, and at events. So thanks everybody for listening.